Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. Let's take a trip. For those of us who know our Disney history, we know the 1964-65 New York World's Fair was a huge turning point for the company. Disney developed, designed, and produced four of the most popular attractions at the fair, three of which continue to operate in Disney theme parks today. These attractions allowed WED to develop and practically perfect audio animatronics, which, if we didn't have today, would significantly change most of our favorite rides. I recently took a geek pilgrimage out to Flushing Meadows Corona Park in Queens, the site of the 1964-65 World's Fair. Though not much of the fair remains there today, I'm certainly glad I went. Of course, the most iconic structure of the fair, the Unisphere, still stands. It still looks like it's in wonderful condition and was certainly a sight to behold. I got the same feeling of anticipation seeing it that I do when I first catch a glimpse of Spaceship Earth at Epcot. Being as how it was still an off-season month, I did quotation fingers again but you didn't see it. Anyway, off-season month, the fountain around the Unisphere was turned off and devoid of any water. Obviously I took this opportunity to get an up-close look of it. Seeing how the globe is supported by its understructure gave me a whole new appreciation for it. Plus, being able to see it from the inside up was a pretty interesting sight. The Queen's Museum of Art, lo located right next to the Unisphere, was originally built for the New York City Pavilion for the 1939 World's Fair. Inside, they had a small exhibit of both World's Fairs that took place on-site, along with the famous panorama of the City of New York, which was built for the 1964 World's Fair. This thing was massive. I'm like, I'm telling you, it was huge. The sheer scale, scale of it just blew me away, and I really couldn't believe how incredibly detailed it was. I could have sat there for like another hour just staring at it. And Jeff, they didn't let you walk around the model? No. Unfortunately, they did not let me play Godzilla, which kind of upset me. Ugh, but I mean, That would have been perfect. It would have been great, Absolutely but perfect. I probably would have been banned for life. Of course. But anyway, so after the museum, you know, I had to wander the grounds, and I came across a few remnants of the 1964 World's Fair, including various sculptures and gifts given to the city from foreign countries to display during the fair. The former site of Progress Land, the attraction that Disney produced for General Electric, now sits barren. There's like nothing there at all, as is the case for most of the fair's pavilions. Only a big, empty field remains, with nature returning to its dominant state there, showing that progress doesn't always stick around, unfortunately. However, there was a set of bathrooms on the former side of Progress Land, and really, what's Communicro Weekly without bathrooms? Wow, so a hidden bathroom break inside the segment. I, Impressive. I did take a bathroom break in those bathrooms, so it was awesome. Okay, moving on. Moving on. The New York Pavilion, built for the 1964 World's Fair, still stands, but it is in terrible shape. The building itself is closed off to the public, and the once majestic map that adorned the floor is completely missing now. The glass ceilings that were at the top, uh, they're long gone, they haven't been there for years, but the pavilion itself is still a really spectacular sight to behold. The only resonance I saw there was actually a cat who, you know, someone actually left food out for him, so that was kind of cool, he just lives in there. Like a World's Fair cat. It was a World's Fair cat. Maybe he's oh, a descendant of one of the, the cats back then. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he went on the rides. Anyway, so the observation towers next door, they're also in terrible shape, um, and they were closed off to the public, but I know of a couple of people who have attempted to climb up there a few years ago, and know they are not actually UFOs, like Will Smith told you in Men in Black, George. Oh, see, I was really looking for... Ugh. 
Ah, there goes my whole worldview at this point in time. Sorry. But by far, the geekiest moment I had was standing on the loca former location of It's a Small World. Again, nature has been sick in its claim and taking back over, but just to be standing in the same spot that housed the original attraction almost 50 years ago was an amazing feeling. Having been working closely with Rolly Crump the past year and being able to stand, air quotes again, stand under the Tower of the Four Winds was just amazing. It may just be a patch of dirt now, but if I close my eyes, I can almost imagine being there back in its heyday and listening to the hustle and bustle with the crowd walking by. And did you have your um, companions for the trip sing uh, It's a Small World you for know, you? I you didn't. There? I really sh I didn't even mm. occur to me. I should have at least brought an iPod and just played it. Listen to it, exactly. Oh, well. That Next means time. we gotta go again. We gotta yeah, go. Another trip. I'd be okay there. Gotta go. It, I mean, it was a great trip, and it was definitely worth the drive, and I absolutely have to go again. It was a geek pilgrimage, like I said earlier, and I really think any Disney fan would get a kick out of it. So, George, we need to we need to get on that and go. Okay, uh, my credit card number is... Uh, oh, wait, never mind. Never mind. He's a nerd. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. Jeff, I get a lot of questions about books about Walt Disney, and if there's a good biography to start with. Inside the Dream, the personal story of Walt Disney by Catherine and Richard Green is a great biography for people that are just starting to read about Walt Disney. The Greens have written a coffee table sized book that is full of photos and recollections from people that knew and worked with Walt. The book has five sections covering Walt's life. First Dreams, Worlds to Conquer, New Horizons, Tomorrowland, and Walt's Legacy. The book clocks in at 191 pages, but it really isn't a very heavy read. Each page has multiple photos, and the text is interspersed with comments from people that paint, honestly, a really lovely picture of Walt Disney. You will really learn a lot about Walt's nuclear family. And the book doesn't neglect some of the darker times in Walt's career, but it doesn't really gloss over them either. As with any biography of a person whose life is intertwined with pop culture, you will be amazed at everything that was done in their life. With Inside the Dream, you really get to see the public and private side of Walt Disney. The early animation, full-length animated films, the studios, early television, live-action films, Disneyland, and Disney World Planning are all covered. It really is an amazing amount of material. There is something for everyone in this biography, whether it is your first Disney biography or you've read a few. Now, Jeff, is there any biography that has particularly blown you asunder? Actually, yes. Uh, it's called The Story of Me by Jeff Heinbuck, and it's a fascinating read. Huh. I bet it is. Here's another minute that you can't get back. It's the 60 Second Review. Jeff, on my last trip, um, you do remember me telling you about my last trip, right? Of course I do. For days. And days and days. And days. Well, I, I I got to eat at Via Napoli in the Italian pavilion at Epcot. Uh, have you eaten there? I have not eaten there yet, but I do want to. Oh, yes. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's located way in the back of the pavilion and is sort of decorated like uh, an Italian villa. Um, bright and airy with lots of seating. So hopefully you'll never have more than a 20 or 25 minute wait if you don't have. Um, ADRs. But the reason you want to go to Via Napoli is because they've got these fantastic wood-fired ovens that make a really thin crust, 
crispy pizza. And it's really fantastic. Uh, I was talking to a foodie there, a friend of mine, and apparently that's what you call people that really know a lot about food. I mean, I know it goes in my mouth and that's all I care about. Um, that one of the things that they do with the wood fire pizza is they use mozzarella from buffalo's milk which is apparently pretty impressive it's like the most desirable kind of mozzarella and i, I used air quotes since that's our thing air quotes air quotes but the pizza was absolutely fantastic i enjoyed it as i mentioned it was thin and crispy and i never felt too heavy afterwards like you will eat with some more american pizza and it was a great choice for a late lunch and you know i didn't have to waddle out which was pretty good we'll definitely have to check it out next time then Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. Harper's Mill is a building located on Tom Sawyer Island at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. It features a water wheel attached to it and is prominently seen along the rivers of America. It is named after the character of Joe Harper from The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Inside the mill, there's a depiction of a scene from one of Disney's silly symphony cartoons, The Old Mill. There is a complex set of gears used to grind grain. Within one of these gears, you can see a small blue bird from the cartoon sitting on her nest. She spins in time with the water wheel outside. The gears inside the mill also creak to the tune of Down by the Old Mill Stream. Thanks so much for watching. Be sure to leave us a comment and email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com like us on the facebook and follow both of us on the newfangled twitter enter our fantastically fuzzy photo contest i'm george and i'm jeff and we're both from mice chat thanks for watching we'll see you next time on communicore weekly Citrus World.